my name is Tracy Carpenter and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, welcome. We are glad that you tuned in. We believe that the church is a family and not just an event, and so we would love to connect with you. Uh, there are a few ways that you can do that. The first being um, through our website, which is www.restoredtemecula.church, um, and then click on contact. We also have a mobile app that you can get in the Apple or the Android app stores, and through that app you can see past um, messages, upcoming events, and other ways for us to connect. Um, so with all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. that more than once. <laughs> Uh, we have a new baby in the church community, which I was just informed about. Rhett Thomas McDaniel, born to Robbie and Liz. Don't have a picture. I'm sure we're talking, we're cuteness, serious cuteness, um, almost certainly, based on their siblings. So that's it. Congratulations, Robbie and Liz. All right, so it's my distinct uh, pleasure to introduce this morning's speaker, Brad Sarian. And if you've not met Brad... Uh, you're in for a treat. I really do think there he is. That's me. And here he is. <laughs> uh, that's uh, Sarah, his family, his kids. Brad, I met Brad back in 2000 and I think 12. So I've known Brad for about 10 years now. We were in the Uptown community. If you were new, Restored Temecula is a part of a broader family of churches. The first church was called Restored Uptown, or is. It's still in North Park. And ever since, we've just been planting churches. But in the early days, there was just one. So my wife Heather and I were in uh, North Park in the area, and Brad and Sarah became dear friends uh, in the early years of the church plant, and uh, we used to grab dinner with them regularly, and Brad's one of the, um, I think one of the most influential people who really poured into me as an emerging leader at the time I was working. I wasn't a pastor. I was just working in a law firm and uh, spending time kind of growing into this kind of pastoral calling, and uh, Brad helped me a lot. Brad and Sarah have been dear friends. They're, they're wonderful people. Brad is wildly gifted. I'm excited to have him. Look at the setup. You guys are in for a treat. Uh, Bible books here, iPad here. We're going into the level tonight, this morning, and I'm excited about it. So I'm going to call Brad up, and uh, we, have, we want to have a culture of honor, so it is appropriate to clap. <laughs> yep. Uh, so Brad, excited for you. Thank you. Love you. Enjoy. Thank you. It's good to see you all. Um, love that dude. Yeah, we, when we moved down to San Diego, uh, Andy and Jackie were the lead couple planting, and my wife Sarah and I were like the others. We were the associates, uh, and we didn't know anybody down there, so we were having a hard time meeting friends. And so the Burgas were there, and we connected with them, and we're just like, hey, can we do dinner every Monday night, just build friendship? And so we did dinner every Monday night for a long time, um, and just, yeah, really grateful for them. Got to hang out with Tom and Ebony last Sunday. They came up to L.A. and spent the morning with us. Um, I'm not allowed to say, but they look good. They look good. Um, so thank you for gifting them with some time away and just for their souls and rest. It really is just a, a gift to be here. Um, it's, yeah, fun, fun to be here. So um, I'm going to pray. And then we'll dive into our time this morning. I've never done this. I usually have like a bigger table where I'm at. And so these, I just was afraid something's going to break. So we're going with two. So uh, let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your kindness and your grace toward us. 
whether we are currently experiencing that or we feel very far from that reality. Holy Spirit, would you, would you lift our hearts and our eyes to see Jesus Christ crucified and risen alive with us now, reigning on the throne. As we dive in this morning, I pray that you would open our hearts to, to hear from you, that we'd be encouraged, that we'd be challenged, that you would create us, um, continue to create us more into your image, Jesus. We love you. It's in your beautiful name. Amen. Amen. So months ago, when I was kind of on the call with Tom and a few others to figure out um, what was going to take place on Sunday sermons during sabbatical, his and Eb's um, sabbatical, they talked about the summer and the Psalms. And, and I'll be brutally honest with you, my gut was like, ah. um, don't judge me. I just, I'm just being honest. I was like, ah. I, Psalms has not historically been my favorite book in the Bible. Um, and now I'm normally judged that I say everything's my favorite book in the Bible. So um, Psalms just generally hasn't got as growing me, uh, but, but it, it's one of those books that I have not loved. It's not been a book that I just can't get enough of. There are a ton of others. We're going through John right now. That's my favorite book in the Bible. Um, and that, that's it. And so for, for me, Psalms has been just a little difficult for me uh, for, for several different reasons. One, I just find it confusing at times. Uh, two, it's hard to relate at times. They've got like these enemies. And I'm like, man, I've never had an enemy that bad. Um, they've got suffering that they've experienced that, that seems to be way deeper than any type of suffering I, I've truly encountered. So it's hard, hard to relate on that end. Uh, but then there's, there's this just emotion. There are these high highs and low lows of emotion that, that me, I'm growing in my emotional health. God, thank you. Um, but, but I haven't been the most emotionally charged person. Uh, my wife and I, when we, we've been married now 11 years, and we did our premarital counseling with a couple, and during premarital counseling, they, you know, sat us down, they said, we need to make sure you guys are compatible, and we're like, whoa, this, we already have everything booked, so let's figure this out, um, if we're compatible or not, and the way we're going to find out if we're compatible or not is to take a Myers-Briggs personality test, so I was like, all right, I don't know what this thing is, but let's give it a shot. So they give us, like, tons of questions, like, you know, to figure out who we are and what we're like and how we process stuff. Um, and, and, and it's a complicated test, but at the end of the day, there was, there was one main thing that concerned our premarital counselor couple. Um, when it came down to the, the genre, the, the category of thinking and feeling, it's one section of the Myers-Briggs that, that kind of is, is highlighted in there. And thinking, this is the best way I can, I'm not an expert by any means, but thinking is, if, if you're high in thinking, uh, you, you tend to make decisions primarily out of uh, rationality, logic, thinking through things. Feeling is more based on how others might encounter the situation or the decision that's made. It's, it's thought more through a person perspective and how they might feel through that than, than just the thinking. For me, it's like, it's right or wrong. I don't care what you think or feel about that. Uh, feeler is like, oh, goodness, this might be hard, so we might need to like, really be sensitive with this and all that stuff. So um, we took the test, and I, it was out of 24 after we took all, did all the answers, and I got 23 thinking, one feeling. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, my wife got 24 feeling, zero thinking. <laughs> and, and so at the beginning, uh, our, our couple was like, you guys are going to have some problems. So we're like, we'll call it sanctification and let's go. 
Um, and so, so for me, by God's grace, over the last 11 years, he's grown both of us. I think my wife is more of a thinker now. I'm more of a feeler. I think that's what we're called to do um, as, as Christ followers. I don't think Jesus was like a hardcore thinker without feelings or a hardcore feeler without thinking. I think he's somewhere in that middle realm. And, and to me, as I've, I've grown in my ability to feel and think through emotionally, the Psalms have grown on me. But I, I read the Bible in a way that I'm not content with confusing stuff. And the Bible, if, if we're being honest, the Bible can be really confusing at times. Uh, like there's probably more question marks in my Bible than there are is anything else. Like I, I'm just not afraid. I'll read it. I'm like, what on earth is going on here? Question mark. And I'll come back to it because it, it bothers me. If I, if I don't know, like I'm never going to fully understand everything, but I need to have an, an, an accurate idea of what's going on here. And when I read the Psalms, sometimes there's just, it's like question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. Um, and it, it prevents me from engaging with God. And so today, I'm, I'm going to kind of break the rules. I know you guys have kind of been picking one psalm each Sunday, and I'm sure it's been beautiful. I'm going to ruin all that today. I'm going to kind of um, look at a few major themes throughout the psalms that have been major stumbling blocks for me. And I imagine for you, as I pastor people, this, these are common conversations. Um, and hopefully, what my desire is, is actually to equip you for the coming years and decades as you engage with God through the psalms. That, that, that those question marks maybe turn into exclamation marks. As you see just with a little bit more clarity what's happening in this passage, now you'll be able to relate to the psalmists a little bit better and engage with God in your honest prayers and songs. So basically I have a few main questions that I'm going to wrestle with. Um, one of the main inspirations for this sermon is the Reflections on the Psalms by C.S. Lewis. I just love C.S. Lewis a whole lot. Um, and he wrote the reflections on the Psalms kind of with a similar bent. He was just like, man, the Psalms are kind of weird. Here's a bunch of the topics I'm going to tackle and try to understand as best as I can. And so there's a good chunk in there that I'm relating here. But the first main question that as I read the Psalms, I was constantly confused by was this. Why do the psalmists, those who are writing the Psalms, Psalms are written by a bunch of different people. Why do the psalmists constantly curse their enemies when Jesus tells us to love our enemies? Anyone read that stuff? Like, I mean, there is some gnarly cursing of enemies in the Psalms. And you read it and you're like, uh, like, like, is this Bible or not? So if you don't trust me, let's go. Um, Psalm chapter 109. Open your Bible, Psalm 109. Let me, let me read for you. This is one of those Psalms, like if you're leading like a Devo time in a group, you don't want to read one of these. You just like... Most Psalms are safe, but you, if you start with this one, people will be like, what is wrong with this guy? Um, Psalm 109, verse 1. And we got it up there if you don't have a Bible. God of my praise, good start, do not be silent. For wicked and deceitful mouths open against me. They speak against me with lying tongues. They surround me with hateful words and attack me without cause. So David's talking about his enemies. He's going, man, they're, they're after me. Verse four, in return for my love, they accuse me, but I continue to pray. They repay me evil for good and hatred for my love. Here's where it gets wild. This, this is David praying to God. Set a wicked person over him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he's judged, let him be found guilty and let his prayer be counted as sin. Let his days be few. Let another take over his position. Let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. 
Is anyone's like life verse? <laughs> uh, I hope not. I mean, that's heavy stuff. Let his children wander as beggars, searching for food far from their demolished homes. Let a creditor seize all he has. Let strangers plunder what he has worked for. Let no one show him kindness and let no one be gracious to his fatherless children. Let the line of his descendants be cut off. Let their name be blotted out in the next generation. Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord and do not let his mother's sin be blotted out. Let their sins always remain before the Lord and let him remove all memory of them from the earth. If that happens in a gospel community, you're like, let's pray for you, bro. That's Bible. That's, that's in God's word. Let his children be fatherless. Like if that just happens to be the psalm you open up for for that morning's Devo, like what do you do with that? Just like, amen. Um, we need to figure this kind of stuff out because it's throughout the psalms. Not all the psalms, but there's about 20 psalms that are called the imprecatory psalms. And they are psalms where the psalmists are writing against their enemies and they are actively cursing and asking God to bring judgment upon them. How does that work with what Jesus taught about us loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us? I want to give just a little bit of context for that. Um, I remember back when we were in San Diego, we were living in uh, Kensington, in this neighborhood, and I was just a local at a coffee shop across the street from my house. And as a local, I get to know all the other locals, and you know, I've got my Bible, I'm prepping sermons, all that kind of stuff. And one of the guys, older gentleman, uh, Christian as well, and he, you know, we got in, became friends, and we we're talking. And one day he, he says, hey, can, can, can I share something with you? I was like, yeah, what's up? He said, hey man, the, the house next to us is filled with drug dealers. And it's bad. Like, it's, it's real bad. It's there's so much shady stuff going on there. I don't feel like my family's safe any longer. I, would you just come with me? We'll do like a prayer walk around our, our neighborhood, like this little block. I was like, yeah, sure, let's, let's do that. And so we, we, we plan a day, you know, Thursday afternoon, whatever. And, and so I meet him in front of his house. And he's like, that's the house. I was like, okay, cool. Um, and so I was like, let's just walk around for a little bit. And I'll pray for a bit. You pray for a bit. We'll just kind of ask the spirit if he has something for us. And we'll just pray, right? So, so he's like, okay, I'll start. And he's like, sounds good. And he starts walking around, and he starts off. He's like, dear God, kill all those people in the house. Please bring judgment upon them. Let them be homeless. Take, them, take their lives. Amen. And I'm like walking, and I'm like, uh, dear Lord, forgive them for their sins. Save them. Transform their hearts of wickedness into people of love. And then I'm like, amen. And he's like, end them, Lord. Bring your curses upon them. And it was like this battle of prayer as we're walking. And clearly this guy's life verse was that psalm, right? Uh, he knew that there were these types of psalms in the Bible where we're praying against our enemies. And he's praying that. And I, quite frankly, I was uncomfortable with that. I was like, this guy needs to learn how to pray in the way of Jesus. This is, this is not right. And so, so what do we do with these psalms? This is God's word. Is it wrong? I don't think it's wrong. So, so let me help explain a little bit, just to help clarify some stuff. Um, first, the enemies that, that David had, um, especially is in Psalm uh, 137, which is one of the gnarliest lines. In Psalm 137, the psalmist asks that their babies would be thrown against the rocks. Like, that's one of those lines. Like, if you talk to people, that's a verse that actually gets brought up. It's like, how can you believe a book that says that we should crush our babies against the rocks? Like, well, you should know where that is, Psalm 137. Um, what's happening there? That is a psalm of lament after the Israelites have been taken captive by the Babylonians. 
Um, when we hear enemy, now I don't, I don't want to downplay, some of you might have like some serious enemies in the room. Um, but, but the type of enemy that we encounter in the Psalms probably isn't like your selfish boss or your annoying neighbor. These are nations. These are people who have done such horrific things that they make most of our enemies look like pretty good people. For instance, the Babylonians. When they laid siege against Israel, um, common warfare at that time was raping, pillaging, taking the life of anything that breathes. One of the things we, we know from history is that oftentimes the catapults that were used were filled with human beings thrown up against the walls to destroy them. That anyone who would try to flee the cities during an, a raid, those would get captured and then used as ammunition in the catapults. Men, women, children. And so the psalmists, when they're writing these songs of deep desperation and lament have encountered some of their own kids or neighbors being loaded into catapults and as babies being dashed upon the rocks. And so when you find Psalm 137, they go, would you do that to them? This is an honest plea from someone who's hurting deeply and broken and hates their enemy. And so I don't want to downplay your enemies, but I think some of that helps perspective, right? Like, like this is, this is some, some gnarly stuff. And, and for us, you, we do all have enemies. There are people that don't like us, some for good reasons, some for bad reasons. And we felt that, like, God, would you please stop this behavior in them? Would you please change their hearts? What I love about the Psalms is that the Psalms help us, they show us what an unfiltered prayer life can look like because we have an understanding God. Too many of us pray these polite little prayers that we're offended by these prayers in the Psalms. We show up to God in prayer. No wonder prayer is so boring for so many of us. We show up to prayer and we pray things we think God wants to hear. Dear God, I've been a pretty good boy. Please bless my day and bless my enemies. Amen. When deep down inside you want your enemies to die, Deep down inside, you're filled with bitterness, you're filled with rage, but you're not allowed to bring that to God because God would be offended. So you stuff that down, you gossip about them somewhere else, you bring that out on your kids or something else, but with God, you have to pretend everything's fine. And what the Psalms teach us, especially the imprecatory Psalms, that we can pray unfiltered prayers to our king. He understands us. Ultimately, he's a God who says, leave the vengeance up to me. What I find in the imprecatory psalms, the psalms of cursing our enemies, is actually the true way to love our enemies. You cannot grow to love your enemies until you've dealt honestly in prayer about your genuine hatred for them. Most of us won't even own the fact that we hate people. Like, I'm a Christian, I can't hate anyone. I just love everyone. Everybody, it's great. God's like, take your mask off, you Pharisee. Bring your struggles to me. Bring your hatred to me. It's as we bring our genuine hatred to God for them that he begins to slowly transform our hearts. But if we don't bring it to him, he can't change us. He, he won't. He wants the real you. 
Prayer is really exciting when you can say anything. And we all know, if you've been in the church at all, you know that God knows everything, right? This is the, the silly game we play. God knows everything, but we don't really tell him anything. It's kind of like, we've got this idea, like truths, like, you know, thoughts, but we won't go there when I'm actually praying. He's like, that's what I want. I don't want a cute little version of you. Bring the honest you to me. And too many of us Christians don't even understand that there is such a thing as righteous anger. That there are things that you actually should be angry about. Genocide. Human trafficking. Sexual assault. These things that happen over and over, day to day, here in Temecula, around the world. And for us, many of us, it's like, oh, I'm a Christian, I should be happy all the time. These psalmists help remind us, no, 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 there is a time to be angry about sin. There's a time to bring our confusion to God. There is a time to pray, God, honestly, I wish you would just judge them and remove them from the face of the earth. Like, that's where I'm at today. Would you, would you change my heart? Like, like, I'm not going to name names, but there are those people that I pray that at times. Jesus, like the amount of wicked that they've brought to this world, just end it. Take them. Judge them. Please, if you're not going to save them, at least do this. And he slowly changes our hearts to become people where we can actually love our enemies and pray for the people that persecute us. But you can't do that by faking your prayer life. You do that by entering into prayer with the honesty that the Psalms free us up for. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, was the first time anyone helped me understand what these imprecatory cursing Psalms were about and whether or not we could pray them. Here's what Bonhoeffer says. Can we pray the imprecatory Psalms? As Christians, insofar as we are sinners and express evil thoughts in a prayer of vengeance, we dare not do so. But insofar as Christ is in us, the Christ who took all the vengeance of God upon himself, who met God's vengeance in our stead, who thus stricken by the wrath of God and in no other way could forgive his enemies, who himself suffered the wrath that his enemies might go free, we too, as members of this Jesus Christ, can pray these psalms through Jesus Christ from the heart of Jesus Christ. As Jesus is hanging on the cross, what does he say about his enemies? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I can be brutally honest in my prayer life about my enemies and the men and women that that I hate, that hate me, and ask God, would you please save them? Would you change them? I want to end them but would you change my heart? Because Christ, I see how you treated me when I was your enemy. You, you didn't bring your wrath on me. You didn't bring your vengeance on me. You gave me your mercy and your grace and it was that mercy and grace that changed me. Would you help me become a man who loves my enemies the way you have loved me when I was your enemy? So when you see that in the Psalms, we can run there. The second challenge that I saw in the Psalms was why do the psalmists seem to find so much joy in the commands of God when many of us find them burdensome, boring, and outdated? Right? The the psalmists seem to just, they can't get over the law and commands of God. And this is before the New Testament shows up, guys. This This is Old Testament law. Psalm 119, longest chapter in the Bible. What's it about? The law of God. And what is it? It's a praise song. They're they're just 
stoked on God's commands. If you have your Bible, run over to Psalm 19. Psalm's also a great book that you can generally find. Just It's in the middle, kind of. And it's big, so just keep going. Psalm 19. Listen to how David talks about God's law. And, and, and law, primarily, we're talking like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay, those books that many of us fall asleep when we're reading. That's what he's talking about. And this is how he describes those. The instruction of the Lord, verse 7. The instruction of the Lord is perfect. Renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy. Making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right. Making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. Anyone feel that when you read Leviticus? <laughs> right? Like Psalm 1 and Psalm 19, Psalm 119 talk about meditating on the law night and day. Psalm 119 at one point says, I wake up at midnight just to thank you for your statutes. Anyone? <laughs> Anyone around 2 a.m., maybe married couple? You know, wife's got the reading light on, the husband's like, okay, gotta go to bed. He's like, I'm in Leviticus 9, babe. I, I can't fall asleep. <laughs> it's about the purification of what to do when you touch a dead animal. I, I got I to finish this. This is so good. For many of us, we find God's laws like, ah, oh, it's burdensome, it's restricting my freedom. And, and the psalmists are just like, you are so good. Look at all the things you tell us we can't do. Look at all the things you tell us we should do. You are good. Do you feel that way? Are you overwhelmed by the sense of God's goodness through his laws and commands? I think one of the reasons why, why I don't and, and probably we don't is it because we live in a secular humanist society that has borrowed or robbed Christianity much of its moral framework while rejecting Christ so that so much, not all obviously, but, but so much of what is just normal in our society, it was, it was from Jesus. And so we just, we're just not impressed with his laws anymore. Like, like things like slavery being bad. Pretty much everyone's like, that's a no-brainer. That's because of Christianity. All people are equal. We're like, well, no, duh. It's 2022. It's because of Christianity. It's because of God's laws. Um, sexual assault's bad. No duh. It's because of the moral framework of Jesus and the commands in the scripture that have shaped our worldview. Now we've rejected Christ as a society, but, but it's these things that we take for granted and we think, oh, that's just how normal people live their lives. Read history. 
One of my favorite books I, I'm reading through right now is Tom Holland's book, Dominion. It's a weighty book. I didn't bring it. It would have broke this thing. Um, <laughs> He, he's, he's a historian. He's not, he might be Christian now. I'm trying to follow his story. He wasn't a Christian when he started writing. He's just a secular historian. He's kind of in the process of figuring this out. Uh, but basically, he, as he kept studying history, like ancient civilizations, he's like, why do I keep thinking these people are like wildly barbaric and I would never become like them? Like, it's just so obvious these people were so messed up a couple thousand years ago. And he realized it was all because of Christianity to shape the world. One of his quotes is, is beautiful. He says this, Assumptions that I had grown up with about how a society should properly be organized and the principles that it should uphold were not bred of classical antiquity, still less of human nature, but very distinctively of that civilization's Christian past. So profound has been the impact on Christianity of Christianity on the development of Western civilization that it has come to be hidden from view. So for many of us, the good laws, the good commands that most of our society goes, yeah, no duh. They haven't been no duh commands forever. It was the shape of the laws that God has given his people that have shaped the world in such a way that now we as a humanist secular society go, oh, we don't need Jesus anymore because we have all this stuff. It'll eventually break down, as, as it is. Um, but, but ultimately, they've taken the things from God and go, thank you, we'll take equality, we'll take all these things. You can't find them in atheism. The, the root's not there. And so for many of us, when we read these laws, we just go, oh, thank you, but, but we already had that figured out. No, it's because of the scriptures that we have those laws set in place. But another reason why I think it's hard for us to take such delight in God's laws, if we can be honest, is because for most of the time, we don't actually obey his laws. Because we do find his commands burdensome, prohibiting our freedoms. I have found that in my life, there are seasons where I'm just like, man, I'm, I'm in. Like, I'm, I'm just doing what Jesus wants me to do. Like I'm going to do, and sometimes it's hours, sometimes it's days, sometimes it's weeks, but it's like, I'm just going to follow him. Those seasons are freeing, beautiful, and sweet. And there's other seasons where I'm like, well, that was exhausting because it's just hard to follow Jesus, and it is at times. I'm just going to kind of take it, I'm not talking about like blatant sin, I'm just going to be a normal Christian. I'm not talking about like anything serious, but just kind of like coasting. Because deep down in my heart, I believe that obedience to Jesus restricts my freedom. It restricts my joy. And when I have one foot in and one foot out, which many of us might be experiencing right now, it's hard to talk about his laws bringing life and freedom when we don't actually follow his laws and commands. Like when I'm experiencing fullness of life, the, the abundant life that Jesus came to bring. I had to preach on this a few weeks ago. As I was wrestling with that passage in John 10, I'm like, okay, he came to bring abundant life. Why don't most of us experience this abundant life? Well, the abundant life is interconnected to us following Jesus' commands in all of life. Like, like he didn't show up. Jesus didn't show up like, I've got a thing called abundant life in this pack right here. 
I'm just going to throw it out to everybody. Here's abundant life for you. Here's abundant life for you. Here's what he did. He goes, I am abundant life. Follow me and you'll experience it. You don't get abundant life without following him, without, without trusting him and going, I'm all in on what you're saying. He says, as you follow me, who is the, process, is the source of life, then you'll experience life. When we're addicted to our greed and materialism, Jesus' command that it's better to give than to receive doesn't feel like life. When, when we're addicted or swayed by sexual immorality, the sleeping outside of marriage, sleeping around, addicted to pornography, whatever it is. The commands in Corinthians to flee sexual immorality because your body is not your own has been purchased for the price of Jesus' own blood. Uh, our, our desires that are at war sometimes in us, our flesh versus the spirit, as we put our flesh to death, and yield ourselves to the Spirit's leading in our life, we will be able to say with the psalmist, your commands are like honey. They're so sweet. They're so rich. I'd rather you and following your commands on all the things you say I should do and shouldn't do than all the money in the world. I mean, I'm today wrestling with that. Um, I have to kind of take off right after gathering today because I have the privilege, I guess you'll say, of being on the prices right later on at two, I know, 245, right? So, um, so, so I was on 12 years ago. I know. Now everyone's like, wake up. Um, so this is, this is, I, I've had to wrestle with this. Like, um, I might not win anything, but I, I'm going to go. And yet I'm, I'm on my drive here today. I'm going, Jesus, would I be happier about being in this gathering, worshiping you than potentially winning a car and a trip to something? Like, seriously. Something I'm, do I want the car and the trip and the cash? Yes, of course. But, but could, can I say, Jesus, if I could just experience more of you and follow you more intimately, like that's infinitely better than anything I could win on a game show, anything better I could work my life for. Like, I, in the back of my mind, I know the right answer. Like, it is him. It's 100% him. And yet, each day we wake up with the choice. What are you going to trust? Are you going to believe that money is better than him? Are you going to believe that sex is better than him? That fame and influence is better than him? That food and pleasures are better than him? What's it going to be? And it's as we see rightly, he's not a killjoy. He wants our joy. This is, this is, this is the um, devastating reality of a privileged nation like ours, where we have so much, you think we'd be like, yay, life is amazing, and it's not. Because these things, as good as they might be, even gifts from God at times, they can't fill your soul the way you need it to. And so the question is, will we follow him? Will we trust him to find his commands better than anything else? The next question that I, I find is that how can the psalmist constantly refer to themselves as holy, blameless, and righteous when we know that everyone's a sinner? If you read the Psalms long enough, you like keep seeing them talk about themselves as these righteous, blameless people. And you're like, you're arrogant. You self-righteous Pharisee. 
Like, we can't talk like that. Like, we're, we're about false humility here. I'm just a worm. I'm a sinner, and ah, oh, I'm a mess. And everyone's like, yay. The Psalms speak differently. Psalm chapter 18. I, keep, I brought a different Bible today. I left my other one. Psalm 18. I'm going to read this. I just want you to even check your heart. Like, how, how does this sound to you? Psalm 18, verse 20. Like, imagine, imagine my introduction this morning's sermon. I just said this stuff. Okay? Just imagine that. <clears throat> the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. He repaid me according to the cleanness of my hands. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not turned from my God to wickedness. Indeed, I let all his ordinances guide me and have not disregarded his statutes. I was blameless toward him and kept myself from iniquity. So the Lord repaid me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. If I said that in a prayer and you didn't know that psalm, most of you'd be like, that bros, he's in sin. He is, he is so self-righteous and arrogant. And here's David praying to God, the righteous one, who knows everything. And he's like, oh, I'm just so blameless. I'm righteous. I follow everything you ask me to do. Can any, can any of us pray this? I mean, one of, one of the, my favorite little books on the Psalms is Praying the Psalms. And it's learning how to engage with the Psalms in a way that we can pray them. Can we pray this? And some of us, depending on our theology, we go so far down the reform camp, which um, has some beautiful stuff in it, but we're like, well, it's the righteousness of Christ. Like, it's, it's just this covering only, and that's the only way you could pray that. This is David praying after he had an encounter with King Saul where he spared King Saul's life. Could have killed him. Didn't. And David's just like, man, I'm a, I'm a good dude. I'm so good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for repaying me. Just the blessings. What do, we, what do we do? This is throughout the Psalms. Now, there are the other Psalms after David commits adultery and murders a guy. He doesn't say that stuff. <laughs> Thank God. Or I'd be done. He, he, he goes, I'm a wicked, wicked man. Forgive my iniquities. If you counted all of them, who could stand? There are those psalms. I think most of us might are like, yeah, those are good. I, I relate to those. <laughs> but these, like, can we relate to these? Can we relate to the psalms where I'm like, I'm just a righteous dude, a righteous gal? Here, here's what I think. Yes. I think we can. When we're walking in God's ways. Now, here's what's really important. Righteousness in the Bible is not perfection. That's really, really important. If it, it, never use the word perfect. That would be kind of weird. I am perfect. Now, he says some stuff where it sounds like, sounds like he thinks he's perfect. Now, context, he's talking about a specific event. And here's what's been really helpful. I've actually had very difficult conversations and interactions with people where God has graciously allowed me to walk away from that scenario and go, Jesus, thank you. Like, I actually think I loved them pretty well. And I was praying for them and I feel like I heard from you in that. Thank you, Jesus. 
Like, I, I think I could genuinely say that was a righteous encounter with that person. Does that mean everything I've ever done always is righteous? No. But that's what David's saying. He said, when I met with Saul, God, you, you graced me with the ability to do what was right. And I praise you for that. Can we as Christ followers do the same where we're in a temptation and God gives us the power and we use our will to say no to the temptation, to walk in the way of righteousness, to walk out of that and go, thank you, God. Now, do you need to put it on Instagram? Probably not. If you can figure out a way to do that well, go for it. I mean, David did it. It's in the Bible. But, but, but there's something about a culture of Christianity that's always just like, I'm awful, everything I do is just marred by sin, I'm a pathetic worm, woe is me. There, there is a righteousness that, that even the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 is able to say, hey, would you follow me as I follow Christ? Like, like can we say that to people? I hope so. If not, I don't know what we're doing. Now again, here's what's crazy. Righteousness, I said, doesn't mean perfection. Okay, so then what happens when we sin? We do the righteous thing. What's the righteous thing to do when you sin? Repent. Ask God for forgiveness. Turn to him. Confess your sins to him and those you've offended. When you do that, you're walking in righteousness again. For many of us, we're like, okay, I start my Christian life in righteousness. Day one, I'm unrighteous. I give up. The Christian life is, I start in righteousness, and I'm walking in righteousness. Okay, unrighteousness. Mess up. Jesus, help me. Okay, back on the track. Righteous again. Walking in righteousness. Walking in righteousness. Okay, sin. Wasn't kind to my wife. Unloving to my kids. Gossiped about that person. Exaggerated that thing. Okay, Jesus, make my heart pure. Change me. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you have given us your righteousness in Christ's death and his life. Thank you. Now I'm righteous again. And I can walk in that. And I can tell other brothers and sisters, follow me as I follow Christ. Well, Brad, what happens when you sin? Then I show them how to follow me in my repentance. That's what I do so much as a gospel community leader. I sit there and I just confess sin and I help people see how do you repent. Most people in my gospel community, if they're less mature than me, they're like, hey, I got into an argument with my wife, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, yeah, I got into an argument with my wife as well. The outcome's different though. You are still bitter at her and it happened three weeks ago. We got into an argument last night and by God's grace, 10 minutes into the argument, he's showing me my sin, my pride, my ridiculousness. And I'm going, God, this hurts so bad to say I'm sorry, but Jesus, I live in your kingdom. Would you give me the power to ask for forgiveness? Not with a but, dot, 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 but just with forgiveness. Babe, would you forgive me? I was being so self-righteous and arrogant. I didn't hear you. I spoke over you. Will you please forgive me? Yes. Thank you. I kind of hang on to see if she's going to ask for forgiveness back. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> I'm good either way. Okay, all right, here we go. Back in line. That, that's righteousness. And I'm able to share that with my gospel community. And, and this is what we can do. We can walk in righteousness because... Jesus Christ, through his perfect life, through his death and resurrection, has given us the Holy Spirit. God dwells in you if you're a follower of Christ. I hope our life looks a little different than the world's. 
I hope it isn't just like, well, I'm just as pathetic as everybody else and I'm just as wicked and sinful and miserable and aimless in my entire life as everybody else. It's like, hey, you've you got the spirit of God in you. Yeah, at times we, we act like the world and we need to confess and apologize and repent and seek forgiveness for those things. And yet we do that. And as we do, we receive the grace upon grace of Jesus that it's this kindness that turns us from those things to repentance. So we're able to enjoy him and walk with him. And as we go into a time of, of singing praise to Jesus, the, the last thing I'll say, and it's, it's brief, but throughout the Psalms, you'll see God through the psalmist, or just the psalmist, however it works, demanding that you praise God. Like, praise him. Praise him. Cry out to the king of all kings over and over in the Psalms. And sometimes you feel like, all right, I'll put some worship songs on and I'll join them. Other times like, I don't feel like it. Why is God constantly telling us that we need to praise him? If we can be honest, sometimes it feels a little needy. It's like, is he okay? Like he needs me to sing? Like, is he up there like, hey, you know, I've got two billion, but Brad's not singing loud enough. Go! Like, like C.S. Lewis says, it's like, it's, like, it's like a vain person needing a compliment. It feels like that at times. So, so what do we do with this when the Psalms say, praise him, praise him, with all you have, with all you are, praise him. The reality is that God needs nothing from you. Enjoy that for a second. Like he needs nothing from you. In the Psalms, he says, if I were hungry, would I come to you asking for food? This is a cattle on a thousand hills are mine. He's like, I don't have any issues. I don't need any money. I don't need any praise. It's for you. See, God is the most worthy of praise in the entire universe. And it would be wrong of him to allow you and I to worship something that was not most worthy. It is God in his grace that says, praise me, worship me, sing to me, devote your life to me because if you don't do it with God, you'll do it with things. If you don't do it with God, you'll do it with family. If you don't do it with God, you'll do it with your career. If you don't do it with God, you'll do it with your social media. Whatever it is, you will find yourself, you are a worshiper at heart. You have to praise something. And God, in his grace, comes to us in the person of Christ and says, it's me you need to reorient your life around. It's only me that when you praise me, when you live your life for me, that you're freed from the chaos of centering yourself on all of these other things. Bring your praise to him because he's worthy. Are you going through a season where it feels like, man, I just want to curse my enemies? Okay, we can bring that to him in honesty. Are you going through a season where things are good and you feel like you can actually say with David, I feel good right now. I feel like I'm righteous with you, God. You've been so kind to me. Bring that to him. Is it a season of sin where you are aware of brokenness and hiddenness in you that you're keeping from other people? Would you cry out with the psalmist and go, make me clean? 
And yet over all of those things, God graciously invites you and I to praise him. He's the worthy king who loves us, who's given us everything we need, everything we have. And as we join him in singing and praising, he reorients and changes our hearts around what is most true and most necessary in the world that he created. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Psalms that show us that we can be human, that show us that we can be righteous, show us that we can be honest, and show us the way of salvation and joy in you. I get the sense right now that there are multiple people in here that have never actually been honest with you. Like they know you know everything, but they've never brought their anger to you. They've never brought their sin to you. They've never brought their fears to you. They've never brought their anxieties to you. Their honesty You free them up this morning. Jesus, you are the great empathetic high priest who knows what it's like to be human. That there is nothing we can pray that that you don't relate to to some degree. And not just some degree, but, but better than anyone else on the face of this earth. You get us in a way that no one else can. Would we bring all of it to you? Thank you for your gracious invitation where you say, Jesus, come to me. All who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest for your souls. Thank you, Jesus, that you have proven that you are the worthy one. That you, as you took on our sin at the cross, as you conquered death and sin and Satan, we now sing together that you alone are the rightful king. We love you. It's in your beautiful name. Amen. I invite you guys to stand up. So I'm going to 
share one quick thing. I think the invitation for each of us this morning is to reorient life around Jesus, an invitation to reorient your life around Jesus. And I think Brad basically pointed out three things. If you're hurting, there is an invitation to have an unfiltered prayer life. The kind of unfiltered prayer life the Psalms actually point us to because he's safe, because he knows us, he loves us, and he invites you to get well by having that kind of unfiltered life with him. So if you're hurting, I want to ask the prayer team uh, to move on over to the side. If you're hurting uh, and struggling, I want to invite you to go get prayer. This is an invitation for those of us who maybe are going through, this, through a time where you're realizing your sin or maybe even wandering. There's an invitation to confess and cry out to him because he loves you and he knows and he wants to heal you. And if you're a disciple, there's always an invitation to praise. Always. Every time we gather, every time we meet, uh, we talk, we, we use the language of delivering God praise. That's why we're here. So there's an invitation for you to do that uh, this morning. And we're going to be uh, singing here in a moment. But I just want to ask a question, like, what does it look like for you to reorient your life around Jesus? I invite you to consider that and take that next step, whether it's going to get prayer, uh, whether it's confession and crying out, if you're, if you're in a you're noticing sin or wandering in your life or to simply praise and give him thanks because of all he's done. Every week we have a team of people that pray before the gathering and uh, Lisa and Heidi oversee that team and Lisa has something that I think would be helpful for the church to hear. All right, Lisa, come on up. So we have, uh, like I was saying, we have a prayer team that's constantly praying for you, for this time, for the gathering, and Lisa helps oversee it. And uh, she had some things that I feel like might be really helpful for us to hear. Uh, hi. Um, yeah, during our time, I just kept hearing um, several words. So I just want to share them with you. Um, if something speaks to you, we would love to pray for you. Um, just the awareness that we can't be made whole if we don't bring our whole selves to him. Um, and I just feel like a specific response. Like, is there something that you haven't told him or told anyone that uh, you, need, you need to let go of? Um, and also the prompting, is there something that you need to ask for that you've not asked? Um, I'm finding that God loves how specific we can be. Um, and the words like, why don't you ask for a pony? So I um, also had a picture um, of Jesus washing feet and hands and a whole line of people waiting, um, but a woman coming up and saying, Lord, wash all of me. Only you can make me clean. Um, so if that's you, if you feel like there is something um, that you've done or has been done to you, um, I'd love to pray for you. Um, and also the prompting that nothing is wasted. So he can use all things. Loves you very much. Thank you. Awesome. I love this. It's Lisa's birthday today. She's just serving through it's in so many ways. Love and honor you, sis. So really, that question of like, what if I brought God my whole self? It is really, it's a, it's a powerful question. If there's something that you feel like you need to bring to him or something that you feel like you need from him, I just want to invite you to pray. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. It doesn't have to be anything major. But you may have something major, and that's, that's great. Or it might be something that feels like not that big but is important to you. If it's important to you, it's important to him. 
So I just want to invite you to go get prayer. We have people on the side that would love to pray for you. We're going to do uh, one more song, and then, uh, and then we'll, I'll be back up to close this out. So enjoy. Now, thank you, Father, for sending Jesus, for sending him into our world to understand our lives, to understand the human experience, and to come to renew it, to come to rescue and restore your broken humanity, your broken human family that you love and that you desire to invite and to enter into your kingdom, to experience abundant life. Thank you that that's what you came to do. And thank you that you are powerful, loving, gracious, wise, because otherwise we wouldn't have a hope in this world. But thank you that we have great hope in this world because of him. God, we love you. We're grateful to you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You can grab a seat. I'm going to close this out here. <clears throat> what would it look like to reorient your life around Jesus? What would it look like to bring your whole self to him? And what might get in the way? What might get in the way of that actually happening? What would it look like to be known and loved fully? Fully known and fully loved before God. And then over the course of time, learning how to be fully known and fully loved by others. I think there's an invitation through the Psalms, through this message, through the stuff that Lisa was sharing, for you to bring yourself to him. So I was thinking about it for myself. Um, I think there's a number of things that keep me from actually bringing my whole self to God. Insecurity, inadequacy, just fear of failure, fear of being known to not be what I think he or others might want me to actually be a gap between who I want to be and who I am. That often keeps me from actually bringing my whole self uh, to God. But today I really felt encouraged, and thank you, Brad, that there's this invitation to an unfiltered prayer life. There's an invitation to actually be known. There's an invitation to actually confess and cry out to him. There's an invitation to do all these things so that I might fully praise. I feel like my praise actually suffers because I don't always give myself over. to him in an unfiltered prayer life. So I want to put that in front of you. Like this is not, if, you, if you're feeling like, um, man, there's a lot of stuff that would get in the way. I think it's all of us. I have a lot of things that might get in the way. Past hurt, experiences, shame, pain, it's just sin, hiding, all these things. But I want to ask the question, like what would it be like if we were a community that did learn to bring these things to him and to invite each other into that? I think that has started to happen over the last four years that we've been here as a community, but I think this might be a part of the Psalms, the summer of the Psalms, is that it's an invitation to go deeper into these things, an invitation to just be really messy. Uh, there's these Instagram uh, filters, I guess you call them. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Where you can like you can put a picture up and then you can kind of change how it looks. You can make it look black and white, or you can make it look sparkly, or you can make it... Does anybody know what I'm saying? Okay, thank you, this helps. Okay, so I'm not crazy. I'm not on the gram that much, but I do dabble. It's been a while, so whatever. The point is, I think we have this deep desire to do that, right? To put like the, to make it insta-perfect. I don't know why that, I don't know why I'm getting, I don't know, whatever. We have this, this desire to make everything look like better than it really is. And I think there's a desire 
um, also, it's like a warring thing where like we want to make it look better than it really is, but we also want to be known and loved right where we are. And so I'm inviting you into that tension. I'm inviting you into, I think, what the Psalms is inviting us into, which is an unfiltered life before God. Thank you, Brad, for putting that in front of us. Man, what would it look like if we took the mask off, if we took the filter off? It would probably mean that there's a whole lot more ugly than we realize in our community, but there's a whole lot more love available to us too. I think both are true because we're all sinners in need of grace. So I want to invite you, again, if, if anything that Brad talked about, anything that's been shared this morning has, has resonated with you, or if you just need, you need, just need some support, some prayer, some help, I want to invite you to go get prayer. I'll also be right over here. I'd love to talk to you. Um, we're going to do a soft close for uh, families who have kids in kids' ministry. I just ask that by noon, if you could please go pick up your kids. Otherwise, we've got 10 whole minutes to yourself. If you're an adult and this is like your best time of the week, no kids is great. If you're a young, one, a young person, hang out with your friends. You've got 10 minutes. Uh, if you need to talk to somebody in this room, I want to invite you to do that. If, somebody, if God has put somebody in your heart to pray for, you've got 10 minutes. I want to invite you to go do that. If you just need to get out of here to go have some lunch because you're hungry, I want to invite you to go do that. So whatever you need, go get it. We love you. Thank you, Brad, for, uh, for serving us this morning. Yeah, you can pray. You can clap. Thank you, Brad. Uh, thank you, Lisa, all of you guys for serving. Mark, I don't know how you do what you do. He was playing a drum and singing and playing guitar. Thank you all. We love you. Enjoy. Enjoy.